You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. We're just going straight through the book of John, and here we are at the end of chapter 7. It says in verse 25, starting at verse 25, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come from my own, of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the, scriptures has, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor David. All right, we've been in chapter 7 quite a bit here, and uh, this is a, a lengthy passage that David has read for you today, um, and I'm certainly not going to parse all of that out here this morning for you, but I do want to hit on a few key things here um, and kind of focus us in on this idea of Jesus is our living water, all right? Um, and uh, let's just see what the Holy Spirit will speak to us out of this. Remember, let's think back just a little bit. In chapter 6, we heard Jesus make that really difficult statement. He said that unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you have no part in me. 
And he's speaking metaphorically here, and what he's saying is, unless you receive my life into your life, um, and, and that's really what this metaphor is about, he's saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood in a sense, all right, um, then you are not holding me as the highest object of your affections. Like, you're not receiving from me. You're not being nourished from me and from relationship with me. Now, here's the challenge, and I want you to, 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 to catch this here, okay? Jesus is in no way, no shape, no form desiring to be popular or to be a celebrity. Because honestly, after making this statement, almost everyone leaves. They stop following him at this point. So this isn't a, 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 a dynamic where Jesus is trying to get a large crowd because he just wants to be a star. He wants to be famous. He wants to, to have that kind of influence at all. Now, remember last Sunday we talked about the motive of his half-brothers um, and their desire to be on that bandwagon with him and pushing him to actually do that. Go to Jerusalem. Do your miracle. Show something so people will follow you again. And they were very concerned that there had been this falling away, all right? Now, what Jesus is trying to say as he says this, and as he says some things that we're going to, to see here today, is that even though there were thousands of followers, all right, just with these very simple words that he spoke, which was really a call to commitment. It was a call to discipleship, to, to following him. And these people say, uh, mm, we're not about that. That, that, that's not really what we're after here, all right? So they were more of like, hey, we're down for the free food. We're down for the miracle show. Uh, we're down for all those things. Those things are awesome. Uh, but if you're asking us to be fully devoted followers, um, we're not about that. That's really not what we came out for. Uh, in fact... As we follow the story through, some of these very same people, the same people whom he blessed, whom he fed, whom he helped, will in a short amount of time, actually these very people will turn against him uh, and they will not follow him anymore. Um, let, let me give you a little introduction here in story form. Um, I go to the grocery store with my wife a lot of times to shop for groceries. We, we do this together, all right? Um, and I think the grocery store is just the, the craziest, most interesting place in the world, all right? Um, and I go to a grocery store uh, right by my house. Like, it's literally a block from my house, all right? Um, and I go into this grocery store, um, and I see people that I know. Like, I run into people all the time that I know. And so there's conversations going on, and I'm checking my phone and doing things on my phone, and I'm, I'm shopping and picking up stuff. Uh, it's just, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on there. All right. But in this particular grocery store, on occasion, I will be surprised by a voice behind me. And this person always does this, all right? And now the backdrop to this is that this person attended this church a number of years ago and then suddenly just stopped they just quit coming to this church um, and I tried to connect with them over the years you know and occasionally what happens is I'm in this grocery store it's Hy-Vee all right uh, <laughs> I'm in Hy-Vee and uh, I, I'm in an aisle or I'm, I'm checking out or I'm talking to somebody else and this guy comes up behind me like covertly and uh, he goes, hey, pastor, 
And it's like, it startles me for a moment. And then I recognize the voice, and I know who this guy is. And I turn, and I'm like, hi, you know? And it's always a little bit awkward, because I've always talked to him about, you know, coming back to church. And this is what the guy does. He looks around, like if I'm talking to someone, or I'm checking out, he talks to the other employees, and he says, hey, if you want to go to a good church, you ought to go to this church. And he, and he refers to me as his pastor. And I'm like, hey, brother, like, you haven't been to church in four years. Like, like, am I really your pastor? Like, and, and you're telling people to come to my church. Well, first of all, it's not my church. And second, you don't come to my church. You know? So what, it, what is going on here? You know? And we never get like, a, a resolve to this. But it's like he's saying, hey, if you want a good thing, this is a good thing. But he's not willing to be a part of the good thing. I have a, 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 a pastor that I follow occasionally. I listen to him preach sometimes. And um, some years ago, he, he was telling a story. He went to the, the grocery store with his wife. And uh, they shopped together, all right? And um, he's about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, somewhere in there. Uh, and and kind of skinny, all right? So he's, he's this tall guy. And uh, he's in the grocery store, and he looks down the aisle, and there's this little lady walking towards him, and she's quite short, all right? And so, like, he knows. Like, he knows what's coming, all right? And so he just moves towards her, uh, and, and he makes the effort, and he says, hey, uh, is there something I can do for you? And she goes, yeah, like, could you just reach that jar of cranberries that are up there on that shelf? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. And he gets the cranberries and gives them to her. And he goes, anything else I can do for you? And she goes, no, that's really good. That, that's great. Thank you. And he goes, thank you. Have a good day. She says, have a good day. Uh, and he starts to turn to walk away. And she turns back and she goes, hey. And he goes, yeah. And she goes, how tall are you? And he says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, somewhere in there. And she goes, oh, I have a son who is 6'5". And he goes, oh. And she goes, yeah, he's muscular. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Fritz is like, okay. And she goes, yeah. And he goes, he goes no lie, she did this. She goes, And he's like, I'm not helping her. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything else for her. Like, she just, like, slammed me right here in the, in the grocery aisle when I'm trying to help her, you know. I, I say that, and we laugh, but this story is not funny. This story is not a laughing matter. Jesus has come to them, and he's, he feeds the people, and he heals the people, and he performs, yes, these supernatural acts, these miracles, um, and yet these same people in just a short amount of time are not going to follow him. They're, they're not going to go along anymore. And so, so what we're starting to see here in this part of chapter 7, uh, we're starting to see people being forced, if you will, in a way, to make a decision. They have to decide whether or not they're going to really believe Jesus and what Jesus is about. Because Jesus is making statements now that is calling the people to something deeper, all right? And he's doing the same thing to you and I. He, he, he moves into our lives and, and builds relationship with us and reveals himself to us. But the intent is that at some point he's going to call you to a deeper relationship. 
He's going to ask you to not just follow him for the comfortable or, or, or the easy or the fun. He's going to call you to a life of discipleship. He's going to call you to follow him at a deeper level. And I think he's calling Life Church to that corporately, not just individually. He's calling us to a much deeper, deeper relationship with him. All right. So, so previously, Jesus has been in the area of Galilee. Um, and, and he's been up in, in this north doing ministry. And the reason why he went to Galilee, because uh, when he was in Judea and Jerusalem in the area in the south, the leaders got upset and they got their eyes on him. They didn't like him, all right? Uh, in fact, they, they wanted him dead. And, and here's the thing. What Jesus was speaking to the ordinary people in calling them to a deeper relationship to follow him, to eat of his flesh and to drink of his blood, to be a true disciple. He was actually calling all people to that, including the Pharisees. And they didn't like that, all right? And so, so he was trying to get out of their, their eye, if you will. He was, he was trying to, to move away, and that's why he went to Galilee. But now he's come back. He's, he's back in Jerusalem here, if you will, all right? And it was time. It was his time to return to, to Jerusalem. Um, but the, the Pharisees have been spying on him, all right? And so when he returns to Jerusalem, he kind of knows that they kind of have it out for him, all right? And that's kind of where we're picking things up here in chapter 7 at verse 25 is that we see that, that some of the people in Jerusalem are starting to see him again, all right? And see, they remember like, like last time Jesus was in town, the Pharisees wanted him dead, um, and, and yet he's back. Like, like he left, you know, like, okay, that guy escaped, or like that guy got away, or that guy eluded them, or whatever the case may be. And so it settled down in Jerusalem a little bit, all right? But here he is. He pops back up. He's back in Jerusalem, all right? And, and, and not only is he back, but look what he's doing. He's speaking openly here, all right? And, 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 and they, they don't say anything to him. By that, I mean the Pharisees. They don't say anything to him. And when they don't say anything to him, it causes the crowd to wonder what's going on. They're like asking questions. They're talking. Like there's, there's murmuring and, and, and chatter that's going on inside of all of this, all right? And so they're wondering, hey, is, has something changed? Did something happen? Like, like maybe even the authorities now, like maybe they really know. Maybe he really is the Messiah. Maybe he really is this, this Christ, this Christos, if you will, all right? But then they're thinking, hey, w w wait a minute. Like, like they wanted him dead before, but now he's back. He's speaking op openly. He's, he's being very public in his actions right now. Actually, he's in the temple. Like he's speaking in the temple. So could it be that these leaders, these, these Pharisees, these religious people, suddenly they see him now as the Messiah? But there are challenges to that thinking. It goes along with that, and we see that coming out in verse 27, um, where, where Jesus begins to, to speak to them, um, and, and, and he says some really like important things here. Um, he says, we know, and the people, the, the people start speaking, and they say, we know where this man comes from and where the, the Christ appears, or when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So they're trying to figure this out. All right, we know where this guy came from. Now, now when that Messiah comes, we won't, we won't know where he comes from. And so Jesus speaks in verse 28, and he says, you know me, 
and you know where I come from. I think he's really talking to the, to the Pharisees here. But he says, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him, here's, here's the, the, the big like block okay, that he throws at them. You do not know. You don't know him. You're religious. You're here. You're here in the temple. You're, you're, you're involved in this feast of tabernacles. You're, you're doing all of this. But, but you don't know him. All right? He goes on in verse 29 to say, I know him because I come from him and he sent me. This is powerful. This is, again, an, another moment when Jesus is saying, you need to understand who I am. I am the Son of God. I come from the Father. He has sent me, all right? So he's speaking openly here, all right? And they're thinking, now, now wait a minute. The Pharisees wanted him dead, and he's saying these kinds of things here, and, and they're not doing anything. He's back, and he's openly speaking in the temple. And so it raises a lot of questions. And so Jesus begins to bring clarity. And this is what I love about Jesus is he is confrontational in various places with people and, and, and very public in that confrontation. But his intent, remember we talked about this last Sunday, is not just to be confrontational, but it is to get to the place of being invitational. All right, His intent in bringing this and breaking it open isn't to just make people angry or to push people away. Listen, it did not serve Jesus' purpose for all the people to walk away from him. It did not, it did not serve the purpose of what he would in time do to draw all people to him. All right? And so Jesus' heart was not to watch people go away or to push people away or to drive people away. His intent was to bring people into him. All right? So all of this that is happening here, it is on a timeline, if you will. All right? And so they are thinking, the last time Jesus was in town, the Pharisees wanted him dead, and yet he's back. And not only he's back, but look what he's doing. All right? But then they talk about, well, this guy's from he, he, he comes from Galilee, all right? He, he doesn't really fit the profile. Like he doesn't fit what we're thinking a Messiah should be, all right? Uh, and, 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 and we're not sure about some things here. And, and so they're trying, as they are trying to figure this out, Jesus is working on his timeline. Remember last Sunday we talked about that we needed to line up with God's terms and God's timing or God's timeline. And Jesus is perfectly the example of this here, all right? Now, here's the thing. If they would have done the research, if they would have done the work, all right, because some of the G Jews did believe, all right, but if they would have done the research, they would have understood that this Jesus is indeed the Messiah. All they had to do was go into the, the, their Bible, the Old Testament, right, and, and, and they would be able to realize that, hey, there's several prophecies in here, all right, and, and these prophecies specifically fulfill, are fulfilled in Jesus. And J Jesus is the one, all right? And so they would have seen if they would have read, say, for instance, the prophet Micah. He's, he says the Messiah will come from Bethlehem, all right? Tiny little obscure dot on a map. 
That's, that's where the Messiah will be born. And so they could have matched that with the public records when Jesus was baptized, all right, or when Jesus was dedicated. Um, it, th- th- all they had to do was look at the, the records in the temple and, and look at the, the scriptures prophetically, and they could match those two together, all right? And so we see here that Jesus is indeed the answer. Jesus is the Messiah. He always has been, and he always will be. But things are beginning to happen in such a way that we see uh, things playing out according to the Father's plan. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, "I I don't come on my own. I don't come on my own time. I don't work out of my own time. I work out of the Father's time. And this is the very reason why they don't get to, to take hold of him and, and, and destroy him right here, because it's a matter of God's timing. And so Jesus begins to speak to them, and he tries to help them to understand that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be killed. It, it's going to happen, all right, but, but this is not the moment, if you will, all right? And so these people are having to come to to grips with who Jesus is here, and Jesus is trying to to talk to them and help them to understand, and it's not setting well. Why would it not set well? Why would these people not want to hear this message of who Jesus is? It's a matter of sovereignty. If Jesus is the Son of God, and He is, then everything he says is from the Father, and it is. Therefore, everyone, including the Pharisees, would have to respond obediently. And Jesus gives them a hard word. Where I'm going, you can't go. Why? Because you don't receive me. You don't take me on, if you will, okay? You don't eat and drink of me. A little over a year ago, there was a survey done asking the American people. Basically, I think it was between about age 18 and about age 35. What is the greatest of all virtues? You know what the response was? I mean, you would think that it was like, okay, love, compassion, mercy, generosity, kindness. I mean, these are all virtues and core values that we talk about in life church that we should have as Christians, right? The number one response on the survey was this, autonomy. Autonomy. In other words, this idea, all right, this mindset that no one's going to tell me what to do. (laughs) I will decide for myself. And so this really is the heart of the Pharisees as well. This is the heart of the religious people is that no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to decide for myself. And for the Pharisees, it was this very prideful, egotistical place in a religious structure where they're saying, not only am I going to decide what I'm going to do, I'm going to decide for other people what they should and should not do. So I'm going to be a part of a system that is going to do that. And so the idea here was, okay, I get it from God, kind of, and then I give it to everybody else. And they loved their position. They loved the place that they were in, if you will. And Jesus speaks to them and says, where I'm going, you can't go. Folks, that's hard. 
that's hard for anybody to swallow. But especially someone who has already decided, I, I know what I'm going to do. And, and I'm going to be able to do it the best, all right? But Jesus is responding to them, all right, in the temple here. Um, and I, I think the timing of this is really great, all right? This is one of those, as we said, major Jewish festivals. Festivals, You know, Jerusalem is going to swell with people here. It already has, all right? There's tens of thousands of pilgrims that are descending on this city. Uh, and they're actually setting up tents, a lot of them, all right? Because this, is com- this, this, this runs in line with, with the, uh, the, the, the uh, celebration of the booths, all right? And, and the booths or the tents had a lot of meaning. They, they pulled back in the history of the Israelites, all right? Um, and the meaning was, all right, there was a time when we were wanderers. There was a time when we didn't have a home. There was a time when there wasn't a place for us, all right? And so they lived in booths. They lived in tents, and they were wandering people. But God provided for them. God gave them manna from heaven, and God gave them water to drink. Remember, even Moses hits the rock, and the water comes out. God's provision was there for Israel, and they recognized that. And so this is like a memorial. This is a big event, if you will, all right, for all of the Jewish people to come together. And so many of them are there in booths. They are in tents, and and, and they're having this celebration, all right? They're in tents, and it is intense. All right? So it's a, it's a big time for them, all right? And there's, a, there's about an eight-week-long period in here where a lot of different things happen. But at the end of this particular part of it, these eight days, if you will, uh, at the end, there's some unique things that happen. And so this is why Jesus, I think, didn't come up with his brothers. He came up at the time that God designed for him to come up, and he walked into the temple at the precise time which he was supposed to, and he began to teach. And he began to teach these things to clarify for the people that I want to be in relationship with my people. And that's what he's trying to say to them. And so he speaks to these Pharisees, and he says, you know where I come from, but I've not come of my own accord, of my own will, my own agenda, if you will. In other words, he's saying, I'm not here to do my own will. I'm not carrying out my, my own plans here, all right? But, but he who sent me, the Father, all right, he, he is the true one, all right? But then he says, that's God, and him You do not know. Folks, this is an amazingly hard word for Pharisees to hear. And yet Jesus is fearless here. He is not afraid here. He does not have the fear of man here because he knows that he was sent from the Father. All right? And so now he's trying to help them to understand that. All right? And he says, I know God because I come from him and he sent me. And that's kind of important, all right? He's not saying, okay, I'm from God, and I just came. I decided to come down here. I decided to just, you know, do this, and you need to listen to me because I'm big and because I'm from God. No, he's saying, you need to understand, I'm from God. But even more important, he sent me, all right? He, he brought me here, if you will. He, he delivered me here. He, he introduced me here, if you will, all right? And, and so... It's saying they were seeking to arrest him. They were, they were trying. They, they, he, they had been angry with him and all this stuff. But right now, for some reason, they can't touch him. Again, the sovereignty of God 
does not allow them yet to take him. And so he moves on this opportunity, if you will, all right? And this is what I love about God and about his sovereignty is, you know, nothing ever takes him by surprise. There's never a point where, where God just says like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. You know, God, God utilizes every moment. God utilizes every opportunity. God utilizes every space, if you will, all right? And so as John is writing here, he's trying to get us to, to, to make these connections, if you will, and, and see what Jesus is doing by the words that he's speaking, all right? And what he's trying to set up here. And so he comes in on the end, if you will, of this whole great feast, this great celebration, this euphoric uh, high uh, amongst the people. And here's the interesting thing about this particular celebration. Anyone who believed in the God of the Jews could attend this celebration. Even a Gentile. At no other time do the Jews and the Gentiles get chummy. But they can all be here for this particular celebration. Now do you begin to understand the impact that is about to happen? They are questioning who this Jesus is. They're playing around with, with who he might be. The Pharisees are telling the, the, the Jewish leaders to do something about this Jesus and stop him. And they're saying, we, you know, we, we can't touch him. The people are like amazed here. This is, this is, there's so much going on here. And so there's all this stuff going on around. And Jesus appears. And on that last day, he is in the temple. And the Bible says that he yells out loud. Now, this isn't like me in this room, like raising my voice, you know, and, and, and trying to, to speak over all of our kids if they were in here talking and running around and playing, all right? This isn't like when the mic goes dead and I have to raise my, my level a little bit so that you can hear me better. Jesus yells loud to get above the crowd. But let me set this up for you. It's the last day. This is the climactic moment. The priest comes out and he marches down to the pool of Siloam and he's carrying what is likely a golden pitcher, big golden pitcher. And they go to the pool of Siloam and thousands of people follow him to the pool. And there at the pool, they fill the pitcher with water and they start to walk back. And as he starts to walk back, people fill in behind him and there's processional and there's singing and there's worship and there's music and there's celebration. And there's a moment where as he enters through the water gate, all right, back into the temple, that everything starts to to, to come together, and he's holding this, this huge, if you will, pitcher of water up, and he's, he's making uh, declarations, and he's, he's proclaiming, and he's quoting scriptures from, from out of the Old Testament. 
And he starts to pour this water out. And as he does, the people rise in celebration and, and praise. And it's a big, big moment, if you will. All right? And he pours the water out. And as he does, the Bible says that Jesus stands up. And when Jesus stands up, he makes this amazing statement. If anyone thirst, <laughs> let him come after me and drink. That priest had just poured all that water out. And all these people had just declared that our God, Yahweh, provides. He has always provided. He has always been faithful. He has always given us. When we've thirsted,